Now we're joined in studio this afternoon by the leader of Fianna Fáil and the Tánaiste, Michal Martin. Tánaiste, thank you for coming to talk to us and welcome to the programme. Thank you indeed. I want to begin by asking you about the political events of this week involving questions about the election expenses of Minister Pascal Donoghue. Did Minister Donoghue break the ethics laws in relation to his expenses? Well, again, not in my opinion in terms of, of, of when you say the ethics laws in general, I think he... Uh, the, the, ultimately, the body to, the, to decide on issues like this is, is the Standard and Public Office uh, Commission, SIPO. That is why Dial Airden and, and Shannon Airden mm. collectively established SIPO to rule on issues of this kind, to make uh, co- comments in relation to it, to follow up on complaints that people might make in respect of various statements that, pe- that members of, of the House would make. So ultimately, it's a role, that's the crucial role of SIPO uh, to decide on all of these issues. Now, Pascal has um, decided, you know, with his organisation, with the Fine Gael Party, to amend uh, the declaration in respect of the election returns for 2016. Uh, he, he's not the first to do that. Uh, we know other parties have done that as well. Um, and that that is part of the, the legislative uh, framework, mm. uh, particularly where material might arise that you would not have been aware of um, at the particular time that the statements were being made and that the election agent would have returned those election statements to the uh, to SIPO. So there's a, there's a clear process for the formulation of statements, for the do, 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 sen- do, do, submission of those statements to, do, to SIPO. Do you expect that he will be making amendments to his 2020 declarations as well? Well, that's a matter for, 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 for Pascal himself. I'm not going to preempt what he's going to mm. say in the Doyle, but he does want to bring uh, complete clarity to this uh, insofar as questions have been asked uh, across the broad range of, of, of the issues raised so far. Uh, ultimately, this will be considered by SIPO then uh, in the context of a complaint having been made uh, and he having responded to it. Could I just say that I, I've always found Pascal O'Donoghue to be a very honourable minister to deal with since I have become, um, you know, jo- have joined uh, this coalition government two and a half years ago. I think he does have the country's interests at heart. I think most people accept that. I do think we need balance and perspective in relation to this issue. Uh, and I, whilst obviously adhering to the regulations and, 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 and the rules and so forth. I think balance and perspective is called for when assessing this issue and dealing with it as okay, it must be dealt but, with. But, uh, but this is also a question <clears throat> about uh, transparency, about honesty. Do you find uh, his explanation of the, the donations he received so far to be credible? For example, the value he placed on, on postering work, €1,057. Is that credible when a member of your party, Mary Fitzpatrick, spent 5000 on on her posters? Well, again, you have to be, in each case, can be different. Um, And also there's three potentially component parts to any spend in in, in an election. You have the national party spend, the party also spends on candidates, and you have the candidate themselves in terms of what they spend. So it's not as simple as the opposition have, in some instances, in my view, mistakenly presented over the last week in terms of uh, some of the commentary that has been made in respect of this. Uh, But in in, in the context of any submission that is made by by, by any candidate, the ultimate judge of that would, would be those who were charged with overseeing the enforcement of the regulations and adherence to the regulations, and that is the standard of public mm. office. Did, did you uh, speak to Minister? Did you speak to Minister Donoghue since he made his Doyle statement last week? I have indeed. Yes. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And what what has he told you about what he's going to say on Tuesday? Then. Well, again, I'm not going to preempt what he's going to say. I think for clarity purposes, for a comprehensive approach, I think it's better that the minister would do that, Minister, minister Pascal Donoghue. But there will in be the, new information in, on Tuesday in will the there? Doyle. He will make a presentation in the Doyle. I'm not going to preempt. 
attempted at this stage. I don't think that's, that would just lead to further mm. uh, drip trips, so to speak. And I think there's an opportunity on Tuesday. He, is, uh, he himself has decided to go back into the House. He made that decision last week. Uh, and he wants to give a comprehensive account and to respond to questions that individual deputies may have. Do you have questions for him? Sorry? Do you have questions? Well, I think I've, I've, he's spoken to me over the weekend uh, and I'm satisfied with, with, with what he has said to me. I think people, uh, in, in the context of he not being aware uh, of the fact uh, that that what happened in terms of the um, erection of his posters, uh, I, I'm satisfied with that explanation. Do you find it credible that the, the services provided to him were not personal donations, as, he, as he's, he says? Well, as I said to you earlier, that can be spends by the party on behalf of a candidate and by the, the but candidate. But do you find his think, explanation credible? I think, well, I think he's going to give a very comprehensive account of all of that. Um, uh, and again, there has been, in my view, a misleading presentation made by the opposition in respect of that point. Um, and I think, again, it's ultimately for SIPO to determine this. I'm not going to get into the, the weeds of this in terms of making judgments on every individual issue. Uh, I, he, he is coming before the House. He will give a comprehensive exp- explanation. Uh, SIPO will ultimately now have to follow up on the complaint that has been made. Uh, and respond to that. The minister has apologised. He's acknowledged mistakes um, and he has amended the, the statement. Mm. It's, it is distracting though and when we've had controversies in the past around Dara Kaliri, around Francis Fitzgerald, around Alan Shatter, around Barry Cowan, uh, although in, in each of those cases they were subsequently cleared afterwards, they did resign their positions because the controversy was distracting from their ministerial work. Well, there's more than that. Should, to that. And, should, and should 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 Pascal Donoghue do the same? No, he should not, in, in my view. Um, and I think uh, in, in this in this case, in the first instance, um, the government has remained totally focused. I mean, all ministers and, and in government are entirely focused on the tasks at hand, on the big issues of the day, um, on housing, on health reform, uh, on climate change, on education. Uh, on dealing with the war in Ukraine, on trying to get the institutions in Northern Ireland restored, the Assembly and the Executive, uh, and to get the issues around the protocol resolved. There's been no loss of focus on any of those key issues. Uh, and I think the idea that just because an issue arises and is debated in the House and there's dispute about it, that in itself isn't the basis for resignations. Based on the conversations you've had with Minister Donoghue in, in recent days and the explanation he's provided to you, which you say he will provide now in public to the Dáil on, on Tuesday, do you have confidence in him to to continue to do his job as Minister? I do. Uh, I do have confidence in him to continue to do his job as, as, as Minister for Public Expenditure. I think he's made a significant contribution to this government uh, in terms of the cohesion within the government. Um, and along with uh, Minister Michael McGrath, um, both, I think, have been a very strong anchor in terms of the management of the public finances, the successful management of the economy uh, coming out of COVID-19, the interventions during COVID-19. Um, and obviously the big challenges we're now facing economically in terms of the, the impacts both of COVID and of the war on Ukraine. All right. So I, I think he is a very capable minister. Of course, I have confidence in him. In that. I, and I want to ask you about some of those challenges in a moment. But first, I, I just want to ask you about the attack on a member of Gar- on Garda Siakana in Dublin yesterday. Uh, that guard suffered horrific in- injuries to his hand and his fingers uh, when he was bitten uh, during an apparent assault in, in Santry yesterday. We- we'll be speaking with the GRA, uh, Damien McCarthy, shortly about this. But Garda are really concerned now. Um, this isn't the first attack. There have been many of them. 
they're increasing in number and in severity and they say that they don't have the manpower or the resources uh, to provide a proper policing service anymore and um, they want a, a special task force established which would examine the issues that they are facing. Um, will the government commit to establishing this task force that they want? Well, in the first instance, I condemn unreservedly this attack on Angarda Shikana because Angarda Shikana is the physical manifestation, if you like, of the protection of our democracy. It goes to the very heart of um, our rules-based democracy. Uh, and it's quite shocking what happened to that particular Garda. We will be bringing in stronger legislation, uh, which will be debated in the House in the coming uh, weeks in terms of stronger and much stronger sentences, mandatory sentences for people uh, who are who attack on, on Garda Shikana, who cause harm to members of on Garda Shikana. We will also, and I know, know the Minister will, engage with the representative bodies and we'll certainly give that very strong consideration in terms of the establishment of a task force in respect of assaults on Angarda Shikona and also assaults on other members of frontline services, uh, including transport workers, uh, bus drivers and, 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 and people working in our transport services. Okay. I do think we do need uh, to reflect on that. Uh, I'm not up uh, and I would give and work with my colleagues in giving very strong favourable consideration to the establishment of a task force because we have to root out any sense uh, that the, there is any leniency in regard to attacks, particularly on Angarda Shikona. We have to stand very strongly behind uh, our Gardaí as they go about protecting our, our, our citizens. Okay. Um, I want to ask you about some of those challenges that you spoke about earlier and uh, I I specifically around the, the cost of living supports which uh, the government introduced last year. Uh, there's a, a reduced VAT rate on gas and electricity bills. That's due to come to an end in March. Uh, the, the, the last electricity credit is to be paid in March. Uh, and there's also a, a reduction in excise uh, for petrol and diesel due to come to an end as well in March. Will there be a cliff edge on all of those supports at the end of next month or will some of them be ex extended? We don't anticipate a total cliff edge. Um, we will give this obviously serious consideration in the coming weeks. The ministers are already working on this uh, and reflecting on this. We've got to look at it in terms of the full year to the end of 2023. We have to keep a, a strong eye on the winter, next winter, um, in terms of from the autumn onwards uh, because of the likelihood and the very strong uh, unfortunate situation that the war is going to continue in the Ukraine. Um, there will be a lot of movements to stock up again in terms of gas supplies and so on uh, for the next winter. It's important to point out that gas prices have come down uh, and hopefully the manifestation of that will, 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 so, will be in, in, in retail. So, so, so when you say there won't be a cliff edge then, what do you mean? Entire, but I think we're going to... Uh, Extend some of those supports. We're going to look at some of the supports, but we don't have funding provided for all of them. Uh, or for all of the measures that we took. And remember that some of the measures we took are now bedding in, in terms of this year's budget, in terms of social protection measures, in terms of the, 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 the tax credit for renters, which people are now only beginning to, to apply for. I mean, that's a substantial €1,000 tax credit and so on. So a lot has been bedded in, uh, in terms of the budget, which takes effect from January onwards. Um, but we will be looking at some in respect of the heating issues uh, for people. Uh, but then more broadly, we've got to make assessments as to the resources we have, how best to deploy them um, and keeping an eye. I think getting people through winter is very important. Yes. Um, we have to balance then the utilisation and the consumption of energy um, with measures to reduce that 
as well as keeping the prices when, at when a reasonable level. When will you make level. those decisions then? When, when will you decide which uh, uh, supports are to be extended and which are not? Well, we'll have to decide well, you know, significantly, a significant time be- ahead of the actual uh, expiry date for some of those measures. Before, the, before um, March, before, so before the end of March. Before the end of March and, and certainly throughout the month of February I think we'll be giving this very serious consideration. Okay. We've had thousands of people uh, yesterday marching on the streets um, about the state of the health service which is in crisis again this winter. The worst overcrowding uh, on record um, the march in Limerick, which was one of the worst of areas affected this winter, um, that heard calls from campaigners there for the reopening of Ennis, Nina and St John's Hospital in Limerick uh, for the emergency departments there to be reopened uh, on a 24-hour basis. Is that something the government is giving any consideration to? Well, the first thing I would say, we've had an unprecedented level of disease this winter in terms of COVID-19, but particularly in terms of the flu and RSV. Thankfully, those levels are coming down now. Uh, but that said, um, there, there needs to be a particular focus on certain areas and certain hospitals, University Hospital, Limerick being one, Cork University Hospital and so on. I'm going to pay tribute to all the frontline staff in the HSE who came uh, in weekends and so on, who've made a significant difference over the last number of weeks in reducing the numbers on mm. trolleys. It's not acceptable. But in respect of the question that you've asked, I mean, the background to that was the clinical advice mm. and the medical advice has been very strong over 30 years that full comprehensive professional emergency departments with all of the consultants, senior consultants present, is not a realistic proposition in some of the locations that you've mentioned. What has happened is now the the ambulance calls and so on, the the strengthening of medical assessment units in those hospitals, which I think makes sense, and also perhaps the provision of further services in those hospitals to take the pressure off the major acutes. But in the area of emergency medicine, we have to be honest here. Uh, Politically, we can make promises and make commitments, but the idea that you can suddenly restore uh, accident and emergency departments with the full complement of anaesthetists, of emergency medicine consultants and other consultants and the full backup, I I would have to say is not a realistic proposition in the short term. Um, And again, all of this was not done politically. All of this was done on the strength of clinical advice and medical advice on the basis that what's best for the patient, uh, what's the best outcome for the patient and how can the person survive best? Uh, This should go to a centre that has all of the disciplines uh, from cardiac right across to... Okay, but we've seen seen what's, what's been happening in Limerick and in other hospitals. Who do you hold responsible for the, the, the crisis we've seen in, in hospitals, which is not affecting all hospitals equally. I think there's an issue of governance um, and management um, within the general health service. And I think some hospitals are doing better than other hospitals and lessons need to be t- taken from that. No, there can be different circumstances. There can be different historic background as well but, in terms of... Uh, but when you say there's an issue with governance and management, what, <coughs> what are you going to do about it? You, you, your your um, party colleague is Minister for Health. Yeah, well, already, first of all, we've put in unprecedented resources, up to 23 billion now uh, allocated to our health services. There's been a stronger focus on community care, enhanced community care facilities in particular, massive recruitment of personnel in all of those areas, primary care and so on. All of that is very important. Early access to diagnostics, strengthening GPs in particular and their access to diagnostics, all of which has happened. Um, And I think on the governance side, we've got to work and I think there is a need 
uh, to make sure that we have consistency uh, and greater perhaps uh, you know, in capacity in terms of human resource management within the health service. I think there is an issue in terms of human resource management, in terms of the faster recruitment of personnel into the health service and the retention of personnel right. within our public health service. All of that is key, I think, to making sure we don't have the scenes that we experienced uh, in the week uh, after Christmas. You're travelling to uh, an EU foreign minister's meeting tomorrow during which the prospect of tougher sanctions against Iran will be discussed. Now, there's an Irish man in an Iranian jail at the moment, Bernard Phelan. His family are worried about his health. They want you to step up efforts to secure his release. Um, do, do you want to see him released? Of course. And, uh, and have you spoken yet to the Iranian foreign minister in relation to that? I spoke to the ambassador Islami uh, last week. My colleague, predecessor Simon Coveney, did speak to, to Minister uh, Hassan I've sought uh, an engagement with him and uh, we're hopeful of that early this week. Um, and we've made it very, very clear to the Iranian authorities that uh, Bernard Feeling should be released. We stressed on humanitarian grounds. We want him released. We're very concerned. We share the concerns of his family. Um, and we've made very strong representations to the Iranian authorities for his early release on humanitarian grounds. Does... does Engaging in negotiations like this at a time when the EU is also looking at imposing tougher sanctions against Iran, does that make it more difficult? Well, it's very challenging in terms of the relationship between um, Iran and the European Union and indeed others, although that has been a feature of the relationship over many, many years. But the diplomatic channels have always been maintained. Engagement continues. Uh, met with the High Representative for European Union um, Giuseppe Borrell uh, last week um, and on behalf of the European Union he and others have maintained that uh, engagement with Iran to resolve issues of this kind because there's quite a number of cases involving uh, European citizens uh, who are in uh, Iranian jail jails uh, which is not acceptable um, and we want to work now in, in our case to, to get Bernard um, released as quickly as we possibly can. All right. Um, to just a final a couple of questions, um, Tanish, uh, uh, we heard the Taoiseach say uh, last week that he, he regrets the imposition of the Northern Ireland Protocol without the support of unionists. Do you share those regrets? Well, I think in, 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 in the first, my, my view is that we, I've always accepted the concerns that unionists have had in respect of the protocol. Uh, I think the European Union has as well. And the European Union has been very flexible over the last 12 months in seeking to engage, and beyond that, before that, uh, with the United Kingdom government uh, to try and resolve issues. The good news, I think, is that the European Union and the United Kingdom are in um, serious discussions in relation to this. Uh, I, do, I do believe we should give them the space to resolve the issues. It's essentially a matter now between the European Union and the, and the United Kingdom mm. government. And the, but you need the, unionists to back a deal. Do, do you think, do you think, think they think, will? And I think, as I have said, you know, I've been very aware of, of, of unionist concerns. I think Europe is very well aware of them also and, and the UK government. So uh, the key is really uh, that a number of issues. One, that we get a resolution to this. I don't understate the difficulties, Justin. I, I think the British government have clear challenges. You have challenges in terms of access to the single market. Um, and therefore, I don't understate the challenges that both are facing. So we, we shouldn't mistake the fact that there's a process in place for certainty that a, a, an outcome will emerge. I think it's going to be very challenging. I think I've spoken to the uh, DUP leader, Jeffrey Donaldson. I've spoken to all leaders in Northern Ireland. They all want the restoration of the executive and the assembly. It should be restored. I think an opportunity could arise here 
if it arises in terms of an outcome to the protocol issues, then it should be grasped by all parties in Northern Ireland, including unionism. Because ultimately, when I met with unionist parties, with nationalist parties, with Sinn Féin, DSTLP, DUP, all are agreed on one thing with industry in Northern Ireland, that access to the European single market should be maintained because it's beneficial okay. to the economy of Northern Ireland and to jobs there, as well then as access to the GDP market as well. And there's potential opportunity for the economic future of Northern Ireland if we can get this resolved. But above all, I want the vacuum in Northern Ireland ended in terms of the politics vacuum. The executive should be back. The people of Northern Ireland deserve no less than to have the people that they elected working on their behalf right. in the Assembly and in the executive. Just a final question, uh, Tanish. There are suggestions, reports that the uh, Taoiseach favours an autumn general election next year. Is that a timeline that you uh, would be working towards as well, an autumn election? I've always consistently said uh, that once an election happens, those who are elected into government after that election should go to full term. Uh, and that is my view. So you would prefer um, to go to 2024 then? I would indeed. I, um, sorry, I'd go full. 25. Uh, because I, I think say. the reason for it, I was I, I, as a young person, 25. I experienced three elections in 18 months. It doesn't help for good governance. Uh, having f- four or five elections in a decade is bad for good governance. You need governments that can last the five years, in my view, so that policies that they implement have some chance uh, of getting through. Right. Uh, and that is that, that has always been my view. I think speculation about elections is not helpful in some respects going on. I know look, it's the stuff of commentary and it's the stuff of politics but for me uh, I, I like to kind of focus on the policy side of it and, right. and, and work on the big issues. I mean the public out there are not interested really on when we want elections. They're interested in when we're going to which we're doing great work on housing in, in many respects which isn't getting you know, accepted but I think there's tremendous work on right. social housing. We'll have record numbers of social housing this year and higher numbers in social housing in 50 years. That's what I'm interested in. Getting more we have more first time okay. buyers now getting access to buy houses this year than in a long, long time. That's what we should keep our focus on. The the housing, uh, the health reforms, the climate change, educational opportunity and doing the best we can to support support, uh, the the democratic rule-based law system internationally through supporting Ukraine. Tawnish to Michal Martin, thank you very much indeed for coming in to talk to us today. Coming up, we'll hear more about that horrific attack on a Garda in Dublin yesterday.